Hello and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we're your co-hosts. So today we're getting spacey. I'm really excited to be talking about Amanita muscaria and the possibility that mushrooms are from outer space. Um, that's, I feel like that's true. Um, but I'm talking about the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters, Messier 45, the cluster of stars that call the Taurus constellation their galactic home. Um, and yeah, it's kind of my first in what I'm thinking will be a series where we talk a little bit about the mythology of the constellations. So, you yeah. know, um, just a couple of space Love. girls. Yeah, I feel like this week I'm very much like leaning into my Aquarius ascendant. Like it's a vibe. Um, and also just like this is such us in college tripping on like any number of substances talking about the universe, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I've been watching. Okay, so I've been watching on YouTube all of those old like history and discovery channel like space documentaries. Yeah. Uh, although it does kind of make me sad, especially the ones that are from like the year 2000. And they're like, yeah, and we're probably going to have people on Mars by 2020. And it's like, didn't sorry. Happen. Didn't a lot happen. of things happened in the meantime. Yeah, a lot um, of stuff. A lot of stuff happened. Well, to get started, then, I do want to ask Nick when did you feel the magic this week? Um, so once again, when I felt the magic this week, it was very much like a physical thing. And it also involved wind. Big fucking surprise. So, okay, so this one actually was kind of weird. So, um, as a lot of you know, I bus and walk a, a lot as part of my commute. Um, so I'm walking by this shop it's like an antique shop that i walk by on my way to the bus stop from work and it was kind of a breezy night i'm like looking through the window because there's actually this really cool embroidered poncho that i have had my eye on in this window Ooh. um it's kind of like something like an old lady would wear but it has like a big parrot on one side and like flowers on the other side that's fantastic you need to wear that on the plane to mexico no literally i was like i could wear that and a bathing suit underneath and that could be like my outfit for my whole trip to mexico um but so i'm looking through the window and the wind is like blowing from behind like towards the window and even though there's glass in between like all of the little price tags and all the little stuff also started blowing like the ac kicked on at exactly the same time that the wind was blowing so it was like Ooh. it was like there was there was a window but there was no window and everything on the other side of the window was like blowing in an imaginary breeze um which i'm really i feel like i'm not doing it justice but it it was weird it was trippy it was one of the and that was that night that i texted you about being so tired and i was like am i is my mind falling apart right now? Um, We've all been there, I think. <laughs> but it was also kind of cool. It was, yeah, it was kind of cool. I love that. I mean, very Gemini season. All the air magic that you're yeah, all the air, with. all all the air. 
Yeah, mine was interesting. So I, I walk my dog like two to three times a day for about a mile at a time. Like she and I really get down on the outside time together. And I was like coming back to my house and we were like on the way back, like on the street coming down towards where I live. And I just found, I kid you not, the most like beautiful, perfect crow feather on the ground. Um, I'm going to disclaim this by saying that it is illegal to collect and like keep and sell most migratory bird feathers in the United States. So if any of you bitches narc on me for having a crow feather in my house coming for you. Um, but it was just really great because, you know, there's a lot of lore around crows. Like they're very magical creatures. Some cultures uh, believe that they're also like able to communicate between the world of the dead and the human world. And it's just like after like losing my sister a few months ago, she was also very much like a spooky bitch in ways that like we bonded over. And it just felt very much like a message from her. Like, and I got home and was just like meditating and was like really feeling her presence. And it was just, it was so magical. And I felt like so tapped in with like, the other side in a way that like totally wrecked the rest of my day because I got nothing done. I felt exhausted after that. Like it very much felt like I had a moment of like psychic communion with the other side. And it was like really beautiful and healing and cathartic and also incredibly draining. Um, but I, you know, kept the feather in my freezer for a few days to kill off any like mice or any mice, any mites or lice. I guess any mice too, any tiny mice that were in there. Tiny, tiny, tiny little mice. <laughs> tiny, mice. tiny mice. Um, and then I did like a hydrogen peroxide bath to try and like kill off the microbes and stuff. Cause if y'all do collect feathers, like be careful. Yeah. Those mites. Um, so there's like mites that live on birds can definitely affect your brain. That's what I've heard. Like there's definitely a species that like will make you like, um, crazy. Oh, and you don't want that. Cute. No. No, but then I, after I cleaned it up and it's all like, you know, frozen and it's been through the process, I actually, I have this like cinnamon broom that hangs above the door to get into my kitchen. And I like added the crow feather to like the end of oh, the cinnamon Oh, that's, that's actually perfect. That's actually yeah. perfect. Yeah. So it was really magical. But I mean, on a more like logical side, I do have to just say that I have gotten really into in the past couple of weeks studying like the whole science system of astrology and I think that this might be the system of astrology I end up practicing. Like it has okay, just been okay. really working for me. Um, and, so when you switch it over to that um, house system, does it give your chart any major changes you want to share? Like, Yeah, it does for me. So two really big changes, actually. It shifts my moon into my second house and my sun into my eighth house. But this is actually the biggest shift with like looking at my son in my eighth house, I think was the thing that really just made me feel like for me, the whole sign system, I just have gotten so much out of it because, you know, the eighth house is all about like grief and family and loss. And, you know, I have been, I've, you know, Nick and I've kind of talked about it. I've had a lot of loss in my uh -huh. family. Well, and I, I think, I think eighth house really makes a lot of sense for you actually it does and then having my moon in the second house moves like my moon in pisces into like the house of like career and like your calling and so 
it felt to me very like to me it just feels like it makes a lot of sense because it's like using all of this like energy and all of the things that have happened in my eighth house to like drive my work in the world in my second house which is always something i've wanted to do um but it it's also interesting because in the whole sign system you actually have every single like astrological sign is represented in your chart in the different houses so even if you don't have placements there, they're still considered to like have an effect on you, which has been something interesting for me to dig into as well. Well, and it's a little, I, you know, I've looked into whole house as well, or whole sign as well, because I do, I think it's kind of wonky, like where my degree is at for my rising sign that all of my houses are like two thirds, one thing and one third, another thing. And it's like, that, you know, that energy, just doesn't feel it's like which one is it which one is yeah it? like yeah um so yeah I, I love that for you and like honestly I've been you know I've been following astrologers on Twitter for a long time now and a lot of them are switching over to Vedic astrology yeah which, you know I just think there's there's kind of like a a, a little revival right now of like people learning about the different housing systems yeah even like the vedic astrology i just the my only thing with that is i don't know what all of the like um the like vedic names are for stuff so like when you know because it's all and i'm not even i'm not even you know i'm just gonna say it's like it's it's like in hindi or sanskrit or whatever and it's like i those are hard words for an English speaker to pronounce and and they are and kind of like wrap your head around. Yeah. Um, but I, and this is the great thing about astrology, though. It's like astrology is really like this really interesting field of study because it's almost like you can look at it through the lens of like the different systems are almost like different languages that are mm -hmm. all speaking about like the themes of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plenty of astrologers that are in like whole sign or Vedic or like um Placidus was the one that I feel like a like I had been really reading into and right, learning right, about right. but switching to whole sign for me has been really interesting so I mean all of that to say if any of y'all are into astrology like I definitely encourage you to check out the different systems of astrology well, and Norwalk was this week which oh. actually so I mean probably lots of good stuff coming out of that soon yeah um, yeah this has been um, i want to go to that one year i i will just say like it, it's expensive um but like it's like the biggest astrology conference i think in the world but for yeah. sure in north america and or europe like norwalk's a big deal norwalk's um, huge yeah i'm always interested to hear about what comes out of there um the astrology podcast like uh i think his name's chris brennan i think that's his first name his last name is brennan who's like a really big astrologer he does whole sign houses um and i do always like listening to his perspective on like the astrology community and i think yeah, that's yeah. really interesting because it is like it's like a <laughs> professional community of people that do this work and I definitely am interested in incorporating more astrology into my herbalism work, which has been, you know, really fun. But then just looking at the whole science houses was like, yeah, I just really feel like it gave a new layer to me and also like really put my chart in a way that suddenly made even more sense. So right, right, right. We'll see. Anyway, but we have some fun stuff to talk about today, guys. Oh yeah, Mushrooms. no, I'm actually, I'm so excited about Amanitas and like really before you dive into it, 
and this is me giving bad advice, disclaimer, um, I'm like really throwing out like sleazy uncle vibes lately with my bad advice here on the podcast. But when I was in school, I remember I was really obsessed with Arrowhead, as you'll recall. Yeah. Um, and one of the one of the things that piqued my interest was the Airwood page about Amanitas. So of course I bought some online, as you could do at the time. I, you know, I, I'm not sure if they regulated it any further um, than that. But um, I remember. So first of all, they were definitely just like wild pick mushrooms. When I made them into tea, there was a few bugs. Um, inside of one of the mushrooms, which I was like, mm, I'll just pick those out. Um, but it really <laughs> did, uh, tasted delightfully of chicken. Yeah, and... I've heard that the trip on Amanitas is is like more similar to being drunk than some kinds of tripping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's very true. That's very true. So it was, you know, now that I do have that, more of that experience with um, psychedelics, it's like, it was not, a truly psychedelic experience but it was like a fun it was fun yeah um, and it was not because you know it's not it was not salvia because salvia was that other thing where it's like you know um legal legal high like easy to buy online or whatever you know buy some salvia and then um i if i feel like if there is a hell it is a lot like being on salvia yeah the one time that i was on salvia that I that I still remember is like I just and I don't know how to explain it better than this and anyone who's tripped will understand I felt like I was in a filing cabinet like I was a folder and everything around me had been flattened and like smashed together and it was just not great it was me. not cool no and then I remember I was like cracking up laughing when I was on salvia and then immediately like bawling bawling crying because yeah it's a lot it's a, there's so much going on but Amanitas was not like that it was gentle it was fun it was yeah and if you're hearing us talk about this and you're like what the fuck is an Amanita muscaria like mushroom if you're asked in like when you're a little kid to draw a picture of a mushroom like Amanita muscaria is probably the one that you're drawing right it's like this is the mushroom of fairy tales it's iconic it has the bright red orange cap with white warts and like a white underside like it straight up looks like a fairy's house it's in the or mario smurf, video or games a smurf, or know. a smurf but yeah it's like you get a super mushroom power up if you eat it and like mario it is like the mushroom look right like I, there's just no mushroom that looks more like a mushroom than amanita muscaria and before we get into this topic, though, I do want to remind you, because I think this is something super important to keep in mind anytime we're talking about mushrooms, is that the mushroom, what we call a mushroom, is actually just like the fruit of a fungus that lives in the soil. And I think the reason that's so important to remember is because like what we see above ground is such a like tiny, tiny little piece of the fascinating network that is the fungus. And technically, if you want to break it down even more scientifically, just the cap and the gills, the part that produces the spores, is the mushroom. The stem is technically still considered a part of the fungus. So mushrooms are fucking dope. But let's talk about it's fly agaric, fly amanita, amanita muscaria. The name like fly agaric that you might hear is actually derived from its use as an insecticide. 
where they would either like powder or put a piece of the raw mushroom into milk. And it's supposed to attract flies who die when they ingest the ipotenic acid that's contained in the mushroom. But there's also an alternative derivation story that postulates that the term fly here refers to the delirium from the psychoactive properties. In medieval times, it was like the idea was that flies could enter your head and like buzz around and cause insanity. Also refer to like flying ointment, which we talked about, which is likely referring to tripping balls and not literally flying. So there are a few different concepts of like where the name comes from, but this beautiful icon is native throughout the temperate and boreal regions of the northern hemisphere. But it's actually been introduced to the southern hemisphere too through like pine and birch lumber, selling seedlings down to the southern hemisphere. But it's native to conifer and deciduous woodlands. Like the biggest fairy tale vibes. Like, is there anything that says fairies more than a fucking conifer woodland forest with a bunch of Amanita under the trees? Like, really though, it's like, what's going on in Siberia? Right? So a molecular study does suggest that the mushroom has its ancestral origin in the Siberian Beringian region, and it spread from there across Asia, Europe, and North America. So shit's coming from Siberia. And the mushroom itself is ectomycorrhizal, which means that the fungus forms a symbiotic relationship with the trees it grows under. And specifically, it has an affinity for things like pine, oak, spruce, fir, birch, and cedar. And mycorrhizal fungus relationships are actually super fascinating. And it's one of the reasons you'll see more and more there are fertilizers being sold that have mycorrhizal like fungi in them. You really don't need to be introducing different mycorrhizal fungi to your soil, though, because trees interact with the fungus and it actually helps some some people speculate that like the mycorrhizal fungi can actually help direct tree roots to places of more nutrients and water. It's fascinating, but that's not even what we're talking about today. That could be its own topic. So the, the mushroom itself though, like it technically is poisonous, but deaths from ingesting it are actually pretty rare. With that said, I cannot in good conscience recommend that you try eating it or that you try to forage it yourself. Because mushroom identification and foraging is a lot more difficult than you might imagine just as a layman who has seen, you know, just a few tubs of different mushrooms at the grocery store. There are a lot of lookalikes in the mushroom world. So just like be very, very careful, consider yourself warned. But with all that said, parboiling the mushroom twice in draining of water like weakens the toxicity. It breaks down the mushroom psychoactive substances. And it's actually pretty commonly eaten in like parts of Europe, Asia, and North America. But of course, it's probably most noted for its hallucinogenic psychoactive properties. And those come from the neurotoxins that are in it that are ibotenic acid and muscimol. So the Amanita muscaria may actually be one of the oldest known sources of ethiogens, which are hallucinogenic substances that are used for like religious or shamanic purposes. They've got some documentation that's basically suggesting that Amanita muscaria could have been used like up to 10,000 years ago. How, like, how crazy is that? I mean, that's really like 10,000 years ago, there was still a couple of woolly mammoths kicking around on that island, actually in Siberia. 
Yeah. Um, Can you imagine tripping balls and fucking seeing a woolly mammoth? I mean, really, though. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. Um, (laughs) But I also do love knowing that Fly Agaric is there's some people that think it could be like the mysterious Soma. So that's, it's mentioned in 150 hymns of the Hindi Rig Veda, which was written between 1500 and 500 BC by Aryans in the Indus Valley. And Soma was a moon God, but was also a plant and a holy brew that was worshiped. And there have been some suggestions that like this, the identity of the plant in question could be other things. But if you're looking at the way it's described and the purpose, like the experience of people that are consuming the beverage, Amanita muscaria like really fits the bill. The Celts also loved it. Uh, They would purify themselves before going on like these vision quests, though, by fasting and meditating for three days prior to consumption. Like they would just drink water. Uh, The Koryak people of northeastern Siberia had an interesting practice where a shaman would actually ingest the mushroom and then others would drink his urine afterwards to hallucinate, which like in contemporary, like modern times, that might sound gross. But the process did also involve like the shaman doing a water fast for up to a week beforehand. So at that point, it's like his urine is mostly just water and mushroom because the way it works is like your body absorbs the hallucinogens first and then they're actually expelled unadulterated into the urine which well and actually they had mentioned that in the arrowhead uh, just to kind of jump in here like some people were like and if you really really want to go for it you could drink your pee and i did i chose not to drink my own pee um but i i do remember seeing that as something where they you know the cool thing about Arrowhead, not to harp on it, but I mean, since we're talking about Amanitas, I kind of have to, yeah. was that you would get these people who took this like s- semi-scientific view of like taking drugs recreationally. Oh, and yeah. the whole thing was that they would do trip reports and they would do all this research and they would like let you know. And, you know, it's like, it's good to, it's good to have a resource like that because yeah. I feel like in this day and age in the era of euphoria high like there is almost this kind of like oh yeah like it's cool to just do drugs and it's like absolutely not kids do your research beforehand yeah like, arrow it is like what to expect when you're expecting for delinquents and yes. it was very important for a lot of us it was a very formative experience yeah so back to amanitas though so reindeer in northern europe ate amanitas because they also really like to party and then the siberian people would notice the like drunk acting reindeer and would slaughter them to eat their meat and then also enjoy the hallucinogens that way and some historians speculate that viking berserker warriors used the mushroom to get into their berserker state which would be very fascinating and if anyone has seen the northmen there is a depiction of them getting into the berserker state like through this ritual around a fire and it is very creepy and really interesting like go eggers he he does his research but we can't talk about amanitas without talking about santa like did you see that one coming i i did not you really just i mean you you mentioned reindeer so 
but here we are with Santa Claus. So we know that Santa Claus is an amalgamation of like several folklore characters, including one of my favorite pieces of it, a Scandinavian house goblin who would protect you from like evil spirits if you shared your mid midwinter feast with him. Um, I would love to have a Scandinavian house goblin. I'm just putting it out there. Uh, also the Byzantine archbishop who became St. Nicholas was renowned for being kind to children. We're not going to read further into archbishops that are too nice to kids, but you may. Yeah, in this day and age. Mm. Yeah, I'm like very sus about that. But you may have also seen some of this, like these more recent theories uh, going around basically via internet meme. Like I saw this one a lot, I think last year. But the idea is that the Siberian use of flagark is also like super clutch in the development of Santa. So at midwinter festivals, the Siberian shaman would enter the yurt through a smoke hole um, at the like top of the yurt, essentially. And the reason he would do that is often because of like snow. It's like very practical. It's easier at night to get into yurts through the ceiling because it's Siberia in winter. So he would like enter this way and then he would do his ceremonies with people and then he would leave the way he came through the chimney and it's possible that ordinary people maybe thought he could fly himself or with the help of fly agaric uh, fly off with drunken reindeer who are also partying on this mushroom and we know of course that Santa's known for his red and white outfit which happens to be the exact same color scheme as this mushroom and of course he comes with a sack of gifts perhaps things that are coming in for ceremony comes and goes via the chimney and of course flies away with reindeer to the north pole coincidence i at this point i think not i think not. i mean yeah he's literally dressed like an amanitas mushroom he is he is but let's talk about the magical uses of the mushroom there are some like folk herbalism uses of it but again as a practicing herbalist as people on a podcast like I just like cannot in good conscience recommend that you eat a poisonous mushroom you're adults make your own decisions I am not going to recommend that anybody does it don't sue me but fly agaric this beautiful amanita's mushroom it's associated with the air element hey Gemini season the planet mercury hey, and of Gemini course season. <laughs> right and of course Nick Dionysus. Oh, of course, of course. Right. Every time I find out something new about Dionysus, I'm like, I literally would have been in a Dionysian cult. Yeah. If I was an ancient Greek person. I feel like we should just start like a Dionysian Artemisian cult. We just yeah. worship Dionysus and Artemis. And I feel like party. So <laughs> party. <laughs> party um so the biggest like magical use that i see over and over and over and over with this mushroom is around fertility which tracks when you think about how fungus works right it's like this huge network underground that pops up this tiny little like mushroom periodically which is super cute but of course not not surprising to anyone because it gets you you know tripping balls it's also associated with prophecy and visions but if you're trying to become pregnant or even, I think just like fertility can also be about bringing forth like a new project, this new thing that you want to create, a new artwork perhaps, you can connect with the spirit of the Amanita's mushroom and ask for its assistance. So you don't have to necessarily like ingest plants to work with them magically. And 
in the bonus episode for our Patreon that we're going to post, I'm actually going to be showing a bit more about some of the plants on my altar, which I work with plants magically all the time that I'm not eating. So feel free to like commune with plants. But you could also, like say you're wanting to have a baby, you're the room that you want to turn into the nursery, put representations of the mushroom in there, right? Like, Which actually, you, that would be such a cute theme for a nursery too. Oh, I know. Amanita's mushrooms, like. Like, fair, so like a fairy tale themed with lots of Amanita's art. Okay, that's going, that's going in my manifestation journal. Right. And I do, I love the idea of working with the imagery too, right? Because it's like a super safe way to incorporate Amanitas into your practice if you're not the type of person that likes to like take hallucinogens or fucks with poisons and no shame at all if that's not your thing. Working with the imagery or like associated with, associating with the spirit, I think is really easy. Um, but on the like nursery side, I mean, if you're an artist or if you're trying to do like a work project, Think about incorporating that iconography into like your art studio or into your office space, anywhere you want to bring about fertility. Of course, if you're using it for prophecy and visions, you know I'm going to have to recommend putting some in a sleep sachet for prophetic dreams. Like, I just, I have to. It's legally mandated at this point. Yeah, yeah, I mean... You're, you're not wrong. You're not yeah. wrong. You could also put some on your, like, nightstand, though, because I have, my nightstand actually is, like, a glass tabletop on three arrows, speaking of Artemis, and sometimes I'll put things on there that I want to, like, do sleep magics with because I sleep like a tornado, and so sleep sachets cannot go under my pillow or they will end up on the floor. So, you know, bedside table little altars, you could definitely do that as well. Um, Obviously, I feel like if you work with the Fae, like representations of this icon are not only like aesthetic, but also super appropriate. And I think go a like really long way to honor the other folk. Like Fae have been depicted sitting on these mushrooms for a long ass time. And given the tide of vision questing to me, I think the idea of the tie between Amanitas and the other world and the Fae makes a lot of sense because when you're tripping, I feel like you're able to really connect to other world dimensions, things like that. So I feel like that tie-in makes a lot of sense. But of course, to end, I cannot talk about the magical uses of Amanitas without talking about Yule Logs. Hello. I'm like, how many Yule Log cakes do y'all see that have Amanitas mushrooms on them? All the good every, ones. Every single one. Every single yeah. one should. Exactly. And it makes sense because like representations of Amanita and their tie to fertility, you know, Yule when you're in midwinter, I think a lot of us are doing like manifestation rituals for the coming year, especially in the Northern Hemisphere. So I think uh, representations of the Amanita to like your Yule altar, your actual Yule log, make a Yule log cake, get French with it. It's delicious. And you can use that to represent and symbolize fertility in the coming year, whatever that looks like for you. So my sources today, Wikipedia, treesforlife.org.uk, wiccanow.com, pagan and proud Tumblr, which I love that Tumblr name. <laughs> I also always relish the chance to get on witchy Tumblr because it's fantastic. Um, and then of course, like some Reddit. And then I did some like 
channeling for some of the suggestions around how to join it. Because I think I'm going to just start plugging that because Nick and I also do a lot of like very intuitive work when we're putting this together. And I love citing my sources, but also I am a source. So I'm, I am a source. I am a source. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so that's it. So I think maybe this would be a good time before we talk about the Pleiades to let people know how they could get in contact with us. Oh my God. We would love for you guys to get in contact with us. And if you can't send a space probe of psilocybin our way, which we'll talk about later, you could always reach out to us via email at wandsandfrontspod at gmail.com. You can message us on Instagram, which is at wandsandfrontspod. You can check out our Facebook, which is wandsandfrontspod on Facebook. But for bonus points, you could join our Patreon, which can be mm -hmm. found conveniently at patreon.com slash wands and fronds pod where you get like bonus episodes you get to see video recordings you could see my fantastic green eyeshadow look I which did is today. so good which is so good and yeah. also i got oh, well i'm wearing headphones but i got a haircut yeah nick's got very a very much I look, I, it's like 90s picture day it's so good no it's like the frosted tips are everything so you know and it's also like it costs money to produce a podcast you know things like equipment but also even just like podcast hosting so that's really great but we understand not everybody is in the financial position to support monetarily nick and i have both been poor before we have been various shades of broke as adults so there's this really awesome free thing you can do you could rate, review, subscribe. And honestly, if you listen to this podcast every week and you don't rate, review, and subscribe, like, how dare you? It's free. Really, how dare you? We're coming for you. Um, and I've actually come up with a really great sort of a template, and you can, like, feel free to add to this if you want to. But um, if you're on Apple Podcast, um, and you can leave a review there. And um, basically what you would want to say is this podcast is good. And then that way Apple knows that um, this is a good podcast and maybe they could recommend it to other people. And anyone who does so will get a free tarot reading from me. Um, you can reach out, um, let us know, be like, hey, this is my username on Apple um, and I left this review and I will absolutely um, sit down and do a personalized tarot reading for you. So that is yeah. something that you can do for free to get a tarot reading. Um, again, that um, that recommended template, this podcast is good, five stars. Yeah, so. guys, you don't even have to come up with your own review. We, and really I know did, we, we did it for you. We know how many listeners there are and there are a lot more listeners than there are reviews. And guys, um, I'm a little disappointed. You're in taking you. advantage. You're taking advantage. Like this, this should be a two-way relationship. Um, we need, yeah. We need, we need this from you. Guys, we, give, we need give, emotional give support. Give we started a podcast because we wanted emotional love and feedback and support from And people. validation even. Like we need, so we validation. crave your validation. Um, okay. Well, I think that's well, enough. So let's it. let's talk about the Pleiades. Um, so this week, I'm very excited to start off. Speaking of reaching out to us, I would love to know if people like this idea or if they hate it. And if you hate it, I will. I am an Aries, I will, and it's Gemini season, so I will come to your house and I will argue with you. Um, just 
know just so you know what you're getting yourself but into. we do welcome it anyway we welcome we that welcome feedback. it we welcome we welcome nick the loves the fight <laughs> i do i do i love a i love a hearty debate um <laughs> but basically this is the first in what could be a series if people enjoy it um about the mythology of the constellation so since this is new again please let us know give us some feedback um but diving in I also think there is a bit of a void in content for space witches. Um, and like- 100%. Like witches are into nature and space is part of nature. Space is part of nature, like just as much as like a waterfall or a tree. Yeah, um, it's just further away. It's just really far away. Uh, but space is also really cool. And I'm just gonna say like, I was a telescope kid and I had like a map of the constellations that you could like project onto your ceiling. Um, and, you know, like this kind of shit just really gets me going. So without further ado, let's get into the Pleiades, which we have chosen to be our first mythology of the constellations segment. So um, to those who do not have a, a kind of passing familiarity, with the night sky, the Pleiades constellation, um, which is part of the Taurus constellation, um, it's a it's a cluster of stars, and it's sort of like a fuzzy. It's fuzzy because it's in uh, it's it's in a nebula of of gas. So the stars, um, when you look at them through a telescope, kind of have an aura around them, and they're all sort of bright blue, hot stars with like an aura around them. But it's sort of roughly shaped like the Big Dipper. Like the six main stars that make up the Pleiades kind of look like a little version of the Big Dipper, and that can help you identify it. But a really easy way to find it, um, and something that I think is going to be pretty accessible to most people, um, is, you know, and you know, like we'll forgive you for needing a roadmap to find the Pleiades, but. Um, we all know Orion because of his very famous stellar accessory, Orion's belt, which is very easy to find in the night sky. Um, so if you follow the line of Orion's belt, which kind of goes at a bit of an angle, um, yeah. so from, from left to right, it kind of goes up. You know, like if you're standing, if you're looking northeast, you'll see Orion, you'll see the belt, it's kind of going up. If you follow that line, like if you were to continue that line of Orion's belt straight through, it ends up at Pleiades. Um, so there's a little hot tip for you. And it's actually quite appropriate that Orion's belt is pointing at the Pleiades, um, considering the large part Orion will be playing in the actual story of the Pleiades. So pop a little pen in that. Uh, but traditionally, the constellation is described as being the six brightest stars we can see from the cluster, although scientists have included several others that aren't visible to the naked eye, but are visible through a telescope. Um, and the cluster does include hundreds of stars, and it's actually the closest globular cluster to Earth at 444.2 light years away. Um, 444! Which, 444, I was like, ooh, okay, hi. Um, but 
the ones you can see with the naked eye, there are six of them. But that number six might be raising a brow among what? those of you who are at least somewhat familiar with the story because the Pleiades are famously known as the Seven Sisters. Nick, which how, is, how does six stars translate into seven sisters? Well, I'm going to tell you, but first I will say that the aboriginal name for the constellation Pleiades also translates to seven sisters and predates the Greek myth by a couple of thousand years. So something that's interesting, of course, we're looking at the Greek version, but um, yeah, seven sisters. And we're going to knock this out right at the beginning, though, because it's also a key part of the story because the youngest of the Pleiades sisters, Merope, married a mortal man called Sisyphus and um, now hides her face in shame. Um, hence why six stars, seven sisters. Um, there was also this thing about, I believe it's Alcyon, who did something in the Trojan War and then wore a veil afterwards because she um, was like in mourning. So they also say that the missing one is Alcyon, but the Merope's the Merope thing is like a central part of the story of the Pleiades, so that's what we're going with. Yeah. Um, because to me that makes a little more sense considering this is like what they're known for. Yeah. But let's go back to the beginning. So the Pleiades are the seven daughters of Atlas, which you will know Atlas as the guy who holds the sky up. Um, and an Oceanid called Pleione. So Pleiades means the daughters of Pleione, and Pleione sort of roughly translates to like shimmering light, glimmering light, you know, it's like something to do with like ocean sparklies, um, and that's kind of like her vibe, right? Um, I would which... love someone to describe ocean sparklies as my vibe. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, <laughs> And so, because they were so beautiful and powerful, they were highly sought after as mistresses to the gods, which ultimately leads to the trouble. So, but let's meet the ladies and get a little background for each. So, first, we have Maya, who is the oldest sister, and oh yeah, by the way, the mother of Hermes by Zeus, so no big deal. Um, next up, coming down the runway, um, we have Electra, cool name alert, right? Who also had children with Zeus. Zeus is very horny. We know this, we know this. Um, named Dardanus and Lazion. Um, and then there's Tygate, who, you guessed it, had a baby with Zeus. Um, Lacedaemon, who is the mythical founder of uh, just a little place called Sparta, you know. Wow. Like, I, I don't know. If I think heard I've it. heard of her. I think I've heard of her. Um, and coming up next on the runway, um, Alcyon, also called Halcyon, um, who had three beautiful children with Poseidon, the god of the sea. Speaking of which, our next sister is Seleno. I'm probably butchering that. Um, who did have children with both Poseidon and Prometheus. And then our penultimate sister, which means the one before the last one, um, Sterope, 
had her courtship with Ares and sired Onomaeus, who was a cohort of Dionysus, and Onomaeus literally means wine man. So. And that's a great name. Wine man. Wine man. And lastly, and certainly not leastly, we have Merope, um, who by spurning the advances of one Orion the Hunter, gets the sisters in a whole heap of trouble. But that's not all. She also married Sisyphus, who pissed off Zeus by cheating death twice, um, and now has to roll a giant boulder up a hill for all eternity. Yeah, leading to, like, my favorite term, a Sisyphean task. Right. Um, which means it never ends and is extremely tedious. Um, it's like going to work. Um, but Most let's get work. But let's get into the story of how they became stars. So, of course, with all of this god copulation and appearances and pretty much all of the Greek myths, um, they were clearly metaphorical stars before they were literal stars. Um, and the story goes that they were very, very good friends with an icon and friend of the pod, Artemis, a.k.a. Huntress Wizard which is likely how they encountered Orion the Hunter to begin with. So the youngest, Merope, is supposed to have been this great beauty, and some even say that taking her off the market factored into Sisyphus's harsh punishment by the gods later on. Um, but they all meet, and Orion is absorbed, and basically decides he's going to pursue Merope to the ends of the earth if he has to, because he wants her for his own. Well, Artemis and the other Pleiades do what they can to protect her, but this man is truly depraved, and he is out to get Merope. And to make matters worse, the Pleiades' father, Atlas, is powerless to help because he is literally holding up the sky. That's, yeah. that's what he's doing. He's He can't stop, or else the sky would fall. Um, so these ladies are seemingly on their own against Mr. Roid Rage, not taking no for an answer, Orion the Hunter. But Oof. Artemis is a goddess, after all. And a couple of the Pleiades have children with Zeus, so there's this thought that maybe he can help them out. Yeah. I and mean... He, you know, I mean... Seems he, fair. He kind of does. And in some versions of the myth, he first turns the Pleiades into doves, which doesn't seem super helpful and actually doesn't dissuade Orion, who is clearly a man on a mission. And so realizing that doves wasn't the move, like, I don't know why you thought it was the move, but turning them into a flock of doves was not the move. Um, yeah, I'm was... like, okay, fucking Job. Pulling right, some, like, like, magic trick? Yeah, like, <laughs> it's an illusion, Shannon. It's an illusion. <laughs> You're right. Trick, tricks are what whores do for money. <laughs> um, but so he realizes that the dove thing was, like, not it. And so he turns them into stars. Um, A, so they can be close to their father, who, again, has the super important job of holding the sky up. And B, because it gets them away from Super Creep Orion once and for all. Except not once and for all. Because here's where the story takes a little twist. Um, all of these stories have little twists, don't they? But 
so we remember that the seven sisters are BFFs with Artemis, right? And now Artemis is lonely. Yeah. And she's a little butthurt at Orion for having no chill about the Merope situation. So she does what any good friend would do in this situation and summons a giant scorpion monster to chase Orion the way that he himself had so ruthlessly chased Merope. Sounds fair. Except, yeah, sounds fair to me. And fuck men, right? Um, except for some reason, Zeus decides to help Orion now out of his uh, permanent chase with uh, being chased by a scorpion forever. Um, and he, you guessed it, turns Orion into a constellation as well, which is how he ended up permanently chasing the Pleiades, but never being able to catch them. Um, he didn't, you know, he, he wanted to sort of honor his deal that he made to help out the Pleiades, so Orion can pursue, but never catch them. And at this point, I'm sure Artemis just had to be rolling her eyes so hard she sprained her face, because that's kind of what I did when I read this. Yeah. Through for the first time, I'm like, Zeus, you're a fucking idiot. Like, why, why, why? Um, which is an awful resolution to the whole story. Uh, but that's why during the months of the year, which again, October through April, um, so fall, winter, um, that you can see the Pleiades in the Northern Hemisphere, every night they're chased over the horizon by Orion, um, sort of towards the Northwest, um, who is, again, always in pursuit, but never catching up. Um, and... That's it. That's the story of the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters, the six bright stars, um, sort of at the, you know, tip of Taurus and sort of being pointed at by Orion, um, chasing them through the sky forevermore. And Orion also, the creep. The absolute creep. And like, I, you know, I don't care how cool your belt is, man. Can, you know what's really cool? Consent. Yeah, no means no, Orion. No means so. no. Oy vey. Men! Ugh. Truly, truly, truly. God, they've never been able to be trusted. Well, in lieu of doing a deity profile this week, I'm going to be exploring the idea that mushrooms are from outer space. And I think this is really fun. Initially, I was going to do Atlas, but then I, I was just like, you know, this rabbit hole is really dope. And there's really no other time that I imagine we'll have uh, the ability to get into psilocybin being a gift from aliens. So, because this is our podcast and this is really like fascinating and magical AF, this is what we're doing. It's not directly tied into magic, but come at me. So let's go back to the very first thing though that we talked about in the Amanita segment, right? The structure that we call a mushroom is just the fruit of the much larger organism that lives underground and is made up of connected filaments called mycelium. And a lot of modern scientists actually say that mushrooms are more closely related to animals or humans than plants because mushrooms breathe oxygen, they exhale carbon, they contain no chlorophyll, all very mammalian things. So let's talk now about a good friend, Terence McKenna, Rip. So in 1976, this ethnobotanist and mystic co-wrote with his brother psilocybin magic mushroom growers guide uh his brother's name is dennis which i just i don't know dennis and terence who end up being like 
these crazy like like mystic psilocybin experts something about that just makes me happy that 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 tickles me as well yeah so his theory though is based on the idea that that mushrooms and in particular psilocybin is a gift from aliens in space is based on the fact that like mushroom spores possess all of the necessary requirements to travel on space currents so first of all they can survive super high vacuum pressure and like crazy low temperatures which are definitely things you're going to find in deep space the casing of a mushroom spore is also one of the most electron dense materials in nature almost akin to like metal and the dark blue or deep purple of the psilocybe cubensis spore is considered the ideal color to protect against ultraviolet radiation which is one of those things that is going to kill most things dead in outer space so the next logical step when you consider how perfectly like created psilocybin is to travel through outer space is that it's a fucking alien space probe of course so one single mushroom in its sporalization phase can shed up to three million spores a minute for up to six weeks one mushroom how fucking crazy is that so the idea is that these like ancient aliens <laughs> um, built a probe of psilocybin. So it has the ability to replicate itself, right? So they start this psilocybin probe, you know, out from their home planet, and then the probe self-replicates across space so that the volume of the probe stays constant as the volume of space increases. Bada bing, bada boom, mushrooms are an alien space probe, right? So psilocybin also, like just talking about the way we get to this being on Earth, is the only four phosphor phosphorylated, oh my God, this is a big one, four phosphorylated indole known to occur in nature. So this molecule is like so unique that it doesn't have any near relatives. No matter what life forms on the planet you look at, psilocybin molecules, there's nothing similar to them. And why is that important? Evolution. So like everything in nature is built upon what came before, right? Like that's that's the entire theory of the universe. It's like when you look at like carbon and like all of the ways that we see the interrelation of things. Like we've talked about the fact that we share like 90% of our DNA is the same as like a banana, right? Everything in nature is built upon what came before it. But psilocybin looks nothing like anything. We So that's like really one of the very biggest indicators that people think that it's like not from a terrestrial source. That's kind of like what they consider like an extraterrestrial thumbprint because you can't find anything related. But also living mushroom spores have been found and collected in every single level of Earth's atmosphere, which is mind boggling. It's like, I know they can produce a lot of spores, but to me, I just don't understand how they would have ended up in every layer of our atmosphere if they originated here. Like, right, right, right. No, it's, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot to take in there, but it really makes me think, and I read recently in 2001, A Space Odyssey, and it's like a similar thing, but like not with mushrooms, where they're like, basically send a machine to like, 
upgrade the humans. It's like they're, yeah. they're kind of like gift to us uh, to basically be like, okay, well, there's these monkeys that like throw rocks at each other and um, they can <laughs> What if better. they were smart? What if they were yeah. smart? So that's that's like really the idea here between uh, about like psilocybin is like the idea is that once the mushrooms and like the psilocybin ended up here, it took root in the brains of our ape ancestors. And that like thing that makes you trip basically helped spark and create human intelligence as we know it, like a little gift from our ancient alien friends. And the entire like concept here is like Earth just got lucky. Like these aliens didn't necessarily target Earth. They kind of just sent the mushrooms out to blanket the galaxy with intelligent life. And our ape ancestors just happened to get a little bit of that cosmic goodie bag. So Which my, I, I, I do love that idea. I, I do too. I do too. And so the sources are wholecellium.com and explorebigsky.com. But like really, there's so much to dig into here. Um, and I'm pretty sure that I'm, I'm pretty sure Terrence McKenna was also a Scorpio November 16th. I think he's a Scorpio. Yeah, that's Scorpio. That's, that's, that's for sure a Scorpio. Which doesn't that just make sense? Doesn't that just make sense that, um, yeah, like really, really going for the deep dive Terrence. Thank you so much. For yeah. Your... But also the, it kind of like factors into like this idea of panspermia too. Yeah, they're, they're, exactly. They're, where there might have been like some singular event that that you know like seeded like single cell life forms across the universe as well like because really there's there's a bunch of th theories abound theories abound as to where the first single celled organisms came from but um in no lab recreation of the conditions of early earth does a single celled organism just congeal in the gutter like nope. And they can, they they literally cannot figure it out. And um, there's something to that. I mean, no answer isn't an answer. And like science, do your thing. But the fact that you could take every chemical element that was present on early Earth and subject it to the conditions, temperatures, lighting, et cetera, et cetera, that would have been present in the early Earth, and nothing happens. Uh, is you know that's okay. Yeah. And yeah. I just feel like it is so magical to me. It's like, I know this is like a magic and herbalism podcast, but to me, the idea that like human life in and of itself could potentially just be something that was just gifted to us from another like intelligent being. Because when you look at the evolutionary timeline of like the universe, there was ample time for so many intelligent civilizations to develop and fall before earth even became like a habitable planet like right so it's not totally out there and i just feel like when as a witch part of my concept of magic is that we are just like tapping into this like network of energies that exists throughout the entire universe and psilocybin and mushrooms being a gift to create intelligence from outer space makes that make even more sense to me so well um really making you're making my brain hurt um but i do love mushrooms i've actually been wanting to take a mushroom trip and actually we should talk about we should talk about mushrooms a little bit on our um patreon bonus episode that we're recording today because yeah 
Um, but all of that to say, all of that to say, it's time. It's almost the bitter end. It's time for the tarot scoop. And so, um, as you guys know, we've been doing the little little zodiac cards. Which, hold on, I've got them right here. So let me. So this is this week. I drew Aries, which is me. Uh, hey, Ram. Um, let's see, you know, let's see, is there anything, you know, so it does say that my flowers are honey, honey, suckle, and thistle, which thistle kind of feels more like the mood with this tarot reading I'm about to do. So tarot scope time, people, it's for Aries, it's for me, it's the Ten of Swords, it's not good news. And uh, I guess we're kind of back to, uh, me giving the bad news, um, so... For all of you Aries babies out there, let me just tell you that right now that I know that we have been going through it lately. Um, there is a deep sense of distrust and betrayal and honestly a big feeling of having salt grounded to an open wound. But guess what? This is the worst you're going to feel. So that's some comfort, right? Like this is literally the worst you're going to feel about this situation is like, right around this time um and you know um it, it's always darkest before the dawn vibes and we're talking about space so you know like i'm sure there's something poetic there i'm just not thinking of it right now and what i will say though is you know take care of yourselves guys because yeah. it can be so easy at times like this to like really lean into it instead of being kind to yourself and ultimately in this moment that's what you should be doing because stuff like this is rough, but believe me, beating yourself up because other people's thoughtless actions only prolongs the pain, and really the suffering is what you make of it, so. Yeah. Um, but, you know, take some time to cry. I mean, honestly, I will say, my roommate has been out of town the last couple days, and I think Shannon can attest to the fact that last night I did get very gen drunk, and uh, get very, very deep into my feelings, um, which sometimes it's good to do that, though. You know, sometimes yeah. it's like, it's not, it's not good for the person you're texting at 3 a.m. Uh, trying to make sense of your emotional breakdown when they get up the next morning, but, you know, in the moment, it feels good to just, like, cry and eat a bag yeah. of cheeseburgers, and it's okay to do that sometimes. Yeah, it's like a cleanse. Sometimes you've got to get it out. Like, yeah, like really though, and it's like, you know, it's like I'm I'm not gonna go into the details of the situation, but like I did have this moment recently too, where I like watched Love Actually, and um, got so many snacks from the the corner store, and literally was just like ugly crying and wearing sweats. So. Um, if you need a day like that, like, take it. Take Do it. it. You'll, fe you'll feel better. You'll feel you better will. after. You'll feel a little better after that. You gotta pull the splinter out. Like, yeah. sometimes it hurts in the moment. Yeah, it does. It does. But, but, like, you gotta have that, like, five of cups moment. I feel like mm -hmm. I'm in a five of cups moment where it's, like, you have to, like, sit with the things that are hard. Mm -hmm. Because it also, like, makes you better. And, and, and ultimately... Yes, I, and so, you know, it's like, um, I really resonated with 
with the Ten of Swords energy this week. And um, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, you yeah. know, Shannon. So um, what do we say to all of the bitches in outer space? Uh, to all of the bitches in outer space. Blessed be, bitches. Blessed be, space bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now. Woo-hoo. any of you bitches narc on me for having a crow feather in my house coming for you.